For more media content from Grace Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, go to gccsatx.com. The first seven verses of Romans 13 kind of get our bearings, get a feel for what Paul's saying here. I plan that this will be my one and only message from these seven verses. As I told you before, now that we're hitting Romans 13, we are going to move into high speed. We're going to begin to cover ground. Romans 13, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is is owed. Well, as I thought about Christians and some of the different attitudes that I've seen towards them, I've known pastors, I've known professing Christians, and even pastors, maybe I should say. Their view of government is like it's some sort of monster. And uh, again, this is kind of alludes back to some of the southern mentality. When I've moved to the south, it's almost like, well, the Confederacy is the proper government for down here. So we really don't want to obey the American government. There can be that there can be some of that mindset. I've seen some of that. The government is to be feared. And, the, and on the other hand, I've seen professing Christians, they think we ought to try to get as many Christians into government as we possibly can. Ruby was just, she's been telling me lately about a Christian, professing Christian couple that we know who she's been looking at their, something that they have on, on the internet and just telling me how they're on this political agenda. You guys have probably come across Christians who they love to get on these political agendas. They like to get involved in every kind of uh, government 
position that they possibly can or have as much influence when it comes time to be voting. They get all hung up on the Republican Party and they begin to press people. You've got to vote, you've got to vote, you've got to vote. And uh, they like to get involved with various things and get on various agendas. I've met some Christians, maybe you're one of these kind, you don't vote, you don't have anything to do with the government, you don't care about who's going into office, you don't care about what they believe, you don't care about what they stand for, as little as possible. And I can remember Don Johnson, what, out there at the community conference last spring, and he was just saying, all we want is for government just to leave us alone. Just leave us be. You've got all these different kind of attitudes. So the question arises, what should the Christian's relationship to government look like? What should it be? Here in the first seven verses of Romans 13, the Apostle Paul answers that question. He does. Now I realize there's different nuances, and I realize you can respond somewhat differently and still be in the right. And I realize there's a lot of ways to respond to this and be definitely in the wrong. You know what we have right here? We have the most extensive treatment in all the Bible about how the Christian should respond to government. I mean, can you guys even think of any place else in the Bible that speaks about government? Anybody think of any? Titus. Titus 3 has a little blurb there from Paul. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Titus 3.1. Anybody think of anything else? First Peter. First Peter. Aside from this, First Peter, Peter gives us one of the more extensive treatments, probably the second most extensive treatment on the Christian's relationship to the government that we find in the New Testament. First Peter 2.13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, or some translations say to every ordinance of man, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Verse 17, it says, honor the emperor. Anybody think of anything our Lord ever said concerning the government? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But right here, Romans 13, we have the fullest, most comprehensive teaching on the Christian's relationship to government found in the Bible. Now think about, think about our lives. We live lives where the government's out there. The government has laws. I mean, one of our own is wearing one of the government's uniforms. He's giving me the thumbs up. We have, we have a fireman here. We have a policeman here. I don't know that we... Do we have any politicians? <laughs> Anybody in government positions? I don't believe we do. But our lives are confronted by laws that this government sets up all the time. Folks, when it comes to our relationship to government, it's massive. It impacts our life all over the place. Implications of these seven verses touch on all sorts 
of matters that you are confronted with as individuals and we are confronted with as a church. I mean, think about it. Brethren, should we vote? Should we? I mean, should we before God? Does God require us to vote? How about when we're preaching on a campus and the campus authorities come, police officers come, which they have over here at St. Philip's, police officers came and told us we needed to leave. I mean, what happens if we're preaching down at the Alamo and police officers tell us, you can't preach here, go. Should we keep preaching? How about if the government, and I'll tell you what, in our lifetime we may very well see this, what if the government outlaws spanking? You know, while we're praying, you can hear one of the children off in the background somewhere, right? Ah! <laughs> spanking! If our government, you know what? What is it? About seven European nations have laws against spanking. Boy, that could impact us, could it not? Even now. I mean, I, I took my daughter to a clinic to be dealt with about her poison oak. And I look over and the doctor's looking down her pants at her rear end. These have implications. How about if our government gets to the place where, like Canada, preaching against homosexuality is wrong? What are we going to do? Folks, there's massive, massive, massive implications on this. What about when we're confronted by a law that, you know what, it's not, it's not about homosexuality, it's not about spanking, but it's just... It's ridiculous and it's unenforceable. And why do they do that? It's just, it's just dumb. It's a waste of time. Should I regard laws like that? Should I use this pulpit? Should we as a church use this pulpit to fire out a political agenda? Should we push the Republican Party from this pulpit? Because they tend to be a little bit more conservative and maybe slightly more biblical. Maybe. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of churches, I guarantee you, that use the pulpit for political agendas. Is that right? Is that wrong? Is that something we should do? How about paying your taxes? If there's something Christians typically hate to do, it's paying taxes. I mean paying taxes when you know that those taxes are going to fund abortion. Do we pay it? What about abortion? Do we just sit back and say, well, it's allowed, it's, it's the law? Should we go stand out in front of abortions and shoot abortion doctors? I mean, you know, these questions find their... I mean, the implications that come out of these seven verses apply to many of these things. They apply to car seats for your babies and seat belts, and speed limit signs, and inspection stickers. Which you know about my inspection sticker incident. But it deals with, hey, I'll tell you what it deals with, you good American patriots. It deals with the American Revolution. It deals with dictators. 
and republics and democracies. It deals with the Constitution. What about all these things? The list goes on. Here's here's the first thing I want to do. I want to step back. You know, I ask myself, and I I hope you folks do this as well. When you study the Scriptures, do you ask yourselves why? Do you ask yourselves when, when you're reading, why is this here? Out of all the things that God could have said to us, out of all the things God could have inspired through the Apostle Paul, why does He say this to us? As you're going through the book of Romans, you know, so much of Romans is predictable. You see it. Paul said something that he needs to then come along and defend. How do we all of a sudden come to government? I mean, you're going through the book of Romans and you've got all this deep theology on justification. Then you've got all this deep theology on sanctification. And then you've got this deep theology that, that comes through God's chosen people and the Gospel and what He's doing with the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. And you break out into chapter 12 and we've got all this deep teaching on the Christian life and genuine love and loving our enemies. And then bang! Government. Paul, where'd that come from? Is he just hitting us out of the blue with this? Well, you know what? I started thinking... Does Paul typically when Paul brings something up, he's alluded to it before. And I got to thinking, has he alluded to the government before this? Well, I tell you, not, I, I don't think as directly as maybe in some things that Paul comes back to and treats. But I want you to give consideration to two things that are said before we ever get here. First thing is found in Romans 8:35. You know these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now, I want you to just notice that word, sword. Shall sword separate us from Christ? Now, Does that have any ring to anything that you saw in Romans 13? Didn't it talk about the sword there? What did it say about the sword there? God had given the sword to the government to bear that sword. Now you say it doesn't specifically say it's the government bearing the sword here. Couldn't it be any Christian haters? Well, it could be, but let me ask you, typically and historically, where has the sword come from that's been against Christians? It's come from the governments. It's come from the false religions that have controlled the governments. Has it not? Is that not typically what has happened through history? Let's keep reading a bit. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, now here's this word, nor rulers, 
Now you could look at this word and say, well, it speaks about angels and rulers and in a little bit powers. And this is a word that sometimes is principalities. Now it's true. Paul uses this word with regards to governments, men, and he uses it at times with regards to angels. And we don't know exactly. Now the fact is, it's closely attached to angels. It could be that. Or it might not. But the fact is this, it may, it may be both. He may be speaking just generally here. It doesn't matter if it's a ruler in the, in the demonic hierarchy or if it's rulers man-made. None of it's going to separate you from the love of Christ. The fact is, those rulers, the men that rule, they bear the sword and God has given them the sword to bear. And He says, these rulers and these swords will not separate us. But folks, let me tell you, these governments oftentimes that bear this sword use that sword to kill us. Do they not? To kill Christians. Well, that's hard for us to identify with, but I'll guarantee you in a lot of places it's not hard to identify with. And at many times. Folks, do you know who Paul's writing to? When he's telling them to submit and be in subjection to the government, who's he writing to immediately? He's writing to Romans. He's writing to Christians in Rome. And who was in Rome? The Caesar! And who were the Caesars then? Were they nice guys? You know what? There's a painting. I don't know if it's famous or not. I simply googled Nero and torches. Because I knew something about what he did to Christians. And I found out there is a famous or maybe not so famous painting called Nero's Torches. And it came up over and over and I looked at it. And basically they're having some kind of party. It's half orgy looking. And the Christians are on stakes. And they're being set on fire. Paul is telling the Romans who were sitting under men like Trajan or Claudius or Nero. He's telling them, be in subjection. I think that may help us. See, as our government begins to go what we feel like as Christians in a wicked direction, there can be this hesitation. Well, we don't want to follow them. There's almost this mindset. We hear it so often. Well, you know what? There's a mindset in other countries. If you're an American, you're a Christian. Well, those people are sadly misled. They don't know our country. Our country is wicked. And the Christians are few. Just like they're few in other countries, they're few here. There may be many churches and there may be church buildings on every street corner, on every corner of our, in our cities across this country. But the true Christians are few. Folks, oftentimes, that sword that God has given to the government has been used to strike us. Many governments in this world would kill us. Paul's not writing to middle class Americans sitting comfortably at fatties. He's writing to Roman Christians. 
They would take these Christians and they would cover them with tar. And they would put them on poles. And they would light them. And covered with tar, covered with pitch, you burn. Nero would light his dinner parties with our brothers and sisters. He would put them along the roadway so that as he rode along in his chariot, it was lit by Christians burning. Paul is coming to brothers and sisters like that who were right there in Rome who knew some of those, no doubt, men and women that they had fellowshiped with. Some of their own pastors. Some of their sisters in the Lord had been hung up there. And Paul is saying to them, be in subjection. He's not talking to us. Yes, to us in as much as it's the Word of God. But his original letter was written to them. Not to Christians here in our day who the government is beginning to go in a direction that we don't like and we can feel this rub. We can feel this resistance. I'm just talking about who Paul wrote to immediately. Obviously, he wrote to us. And obviously, that's why we're preaching it today. Because this does apply to us. This is God's Word. But I want you to know and feel who he wrote to at first. So we don't feel like, wow, we're just in a day and an age where we need to chafe against this government. And we don't like this agenda. And we don't like... And it seems like things are becoming more and more socialistic. Brethren, they were under an emperor a totalitarian emperor who was wicked. Well, what, what was the other thing? There's, there's that there where the ruler, the sword, they can't separate us from the love of Christ. Paul has, has hit a little bit of a note there. Whether he was directly thinking about governments or not, it may not be super clear, but it's like I say, whenever the sword has come against God's people, Paul's not ignorant to that. He knew from his own day. Typically, it's wielded by the government. But he says it won't separate us. But you know what? When you get to chapter 10, he says something else. Chapter 10, verse 9. Again, a well-known verse. You all know this. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now I heard Andy Hamilton say this, and I heard, I heard um, he was he was repeating what Paul Washer had said at a conference that many of us went to, um, not this last summer, but the summer before. And he was making a comment about this very verse. He was making this point. He was saying that. Confessing that Jesus is Lord. It's not just a little magic formula that you do and, and somehow you're amazingly saved. Confessing Christ is Lord. Paul was painting this picture of the Roman authorities demanding that every Roman citizen take his little pinch of incense and offer it on the fire and say what? Caesar is Lord. In those days, for you to come face to face with that and the Roman guards, and you say, no. Jesus is Lord. It probably was not going to go well with you. 
You see, folks, it took sacrifice. Not just some little magic formula. This was laying it all on the line. Any of you know the name Polycarp? Early church father. Listen to this. The aged bishop of Smyrna. That's who Polycarp was. He was the bishop at Smyrna. Anybody know where Smyrna is? Where John Wheeler is. Izmir. The aged bishop of Smyrna refused to yield to the demands of the empire and paid the ultimate price on February 22nd, A.D. 156. I want you to see, brethren, this is real. It's a real historical event. This was a brother. He's before the Lord now. February 22nd, A.D. 156. Two city officials pleaded with Polycarp to comply with the demands to declare Caesar is Lord. They said, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and burning a little incense and saving yourself? As the fires were lighted at his feet and began to rise up around his body, he declared, for 86 years, I have been Christ's slave. And He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King who saved me? All it takes. A little pinch of incense and three words out of your mouth and you walk free and you can worship whatever God you want to. Boy, I wonder... Some of you may have heard the story before. Behind the Iron Curtain in Russia, two soldiers walked in, machine guns, into the church. They told everybody, deny Christ and walk out that door and you live. A number of people walked out. And then they laid down their guns and they said, brothers... There were two Christians in the military. Folks, I wonder, when it's really put to the test, if they walked in right now, so all you have to say, Obama is king. Obama is Lord. Obama's the Messiah. Just say it. Or they say, just, just walk out the door because we're going we're gonna to execute everybody who stays. They throw a Bible on the floor. You've probably, probably heard those stories too. Throw the Bible on the floor. I think I've heard stories from Vietnam, Cambodia. Throw the Bible on the floor. They come into the church meeting, throw a Bible on the floor, and they tell everybody, spit on that Bible and walk out. You go free. And the little girl who fell down and they took her head off on the spot. And one after another, they fell down and they took their heads off one after another. If it was there, folks. But now listen to me. Here's what Paul wants you to feel in all this. Is when you say Jesus is Lord, it does not mean 
that the Christian is loyal to Christ, but not loyal to Caesar. That's not what... You see, we can come away feeling that, right? If we say, Christ is Lord, not Caesar, then there can be this mindset, we're throwing the government all together. It's Christ. We want Christ. We follow Christ. Your laws don't apply to us. Your government has... But that's not it. That's not what's implied here. It doesn't mean that at all. It does not mean be loyal to Christ, be disloyal to Caesar. The Lord Jesus never, ever, ever taught His followers to be disloyal or disrespectful to Caesar or to the emperor or to Pilate or to Herod. Never. But here's the thing. Caesar must always and forever for the Christian take second place and Christ must always be first. Christ must always have the preeminence. That's the case. And that's the situation that Paul is dealing with. Okay, why? Why should we bow down to Caesar's laws when Christ is our King? Christ is our Lord. Why should I submit Why should I be in subjection? Well, the answer is given to us right there in the first verse of Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now brethren, in my devotional reading, I've been going through the book of Ezekiel, and it's just hitting me over and over and over. Listen to what kind of things are said there. God says, I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon. Who is that? Nebuchadnezzar. But the arms of Pharaoh shall fall. Now listen to what God's saying. I will strengthen Nebuchadnezzar. God sets up and God tears down. God institutes and God de-institutionalizes, right? He is sovereign over the governments. He puts them in power, and when they cease to be, He is the one causing them to cease. He says, I'm going to strengthen Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to weaken Pharaoh. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon. See again, it's his sword. Nebuchadnezzar may wield it, but it's God's sword. And he stretched it out against the land of Egypt. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them through the countries. But at the end of 40 years, he says, I'll gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they're scattered. I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin, and there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the most lowly of the kingdoms and never again exalt itself above the nations. I will make them so small that they will never again rule over the nations. Have you ever wondered, how did Egypt get from one time in history being the greatest nation on the face of the earth to today, it's just this little deal that, you know, they can't even handle Israel. Right? Because God said, I'm going to make them a lowly nation and they're never going to rise again. Guess what? Egypt is never going to be a mighty power on the face of this earth again. And I'll tell you this, Americans 
we are just in the timeline. And though America may, in some eyes, be the greatest nation on the face of the earth, folks, there's been Rome, there's been Babylon, there's been Egypt, and you can list a whole number of others. The British Empire, the Japanese Empire. Where are they? Go to Italy today. What do you got? Bunch of ruins. Go to Egypt today. What do you got? Bunch of ruins. Folks, we're in the timeline. God sets them up. God takes them down. He establishes. He causes them to cease. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He said He removes kings and sets up kings. Brother, it doesn't matter if we live in San Antonio or Saudi Arabia. New York, New Guinea. The Lord sets up the governments there. He establishes them. He removes them. Look, you know, we can get to the place where we think, ah, President Obama was a mistake. You know, we don't like it. We wish he wasn't there. Let me tell you something. He is not there by mistake. God has put him there. And he will be there as long as God intends. You say, well, there's only an eight-year limit. Believe me, stuff like that can get changed. Things can happen all the time. He'll be there as long as God would have him to be there. And God will raise up somebody else. And very likely, the ones that are raised up in some measure are going to be a judgment upon us. God raises them up. God takes them down. You go to, you go to the, the book of Acts, and you know what? You have in Acts 13, it's, you know, it's speaking there about Saul and about David. It says, God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Israel asked for a king. God gave them Saul. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. God puts him in place. God removes him. Mark it down. Kings, presidents, emperors, prime ministers, governors, authorities. They're all God's servants. Even Adolf Hitler. God's servants. The Stalins. The Kim Jong-ils of this world. They're God's servants. He puts them in. Don't believe that this is out of God's controls. God looks at the nations and what are they? What does the Bible say the nations are to God? They're a drop in a bucket. They come and they go. They ebb and they flow. They rise and they fall. And God sits on His throne. And He is unmoved. Absolutely unmoved. He's God's servant for our good. Well now, ask yourself this. How, if I was under Nero and he's taking... Imagine, folks, this was a reality. The people that Paul's writing to. Imagine if, well, brother so-and-so isn't here today. Well, where is he? Well, he got stuck on a stake and burned one of Nero's dinner parties last weekend. You know, that would change the face of the church a little bit. Change the seriousness about things quite a bit. How do we say Nero is our servant for good when he's taking our people and putting them on stakes and burning them? Or if you're, let's say you're Dietrich Bonhoeffer, maybe you don't know that. Let's say you're you're a Christian. You're living in the time of of Adolf Hitler. You're a German citizen. Is Adolf Hitler for your good? 
Doesn't it say they're God's servants for our good? I mean, how do we explain that? I think we could explain it one way, the same way that we find in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to God's... You know, the fact is that bad governments are going to work out for Christians' good. Because even if they persecute you, it's going to work out for your good. Even if they kill you, it's going to work out for you. You know, that's one way to look at that. But I don't think that's what Paul means. Why? Because when you read Romans 13, it has a good flavor about it, does it not? I mean, look at the text there. It says, rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Actually, what Paul seems to be saying is the government isn't a terror for our good when we do good. He's not really talking about the despot or the, the, you know, the Adolf Hitler who comes in and because of our good is a terror to us. That's not what he's dealing with. He says if you do good, the government isn't a terror to you. So I don't think that's exactly what Paul means. So what does he mean? I would say this. Wherever you have governments, you have laws. Wherever you have governments, you have restrictions. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were living here on the east side of San Antonio and all of a sudden all law and order was gone? Now just think with me for a moment. If all of a sudden there were no Stevens, there were no Wands, Fire department's gone. Police department's gone. Government's gone. Law is gone. Ambulance service is gone. Basically, there's no laws. It's lawless. It's a free-for-all. People can do whatever they want to do. How do you think life would be throughout today? What do you think would happen? What do you think would change? Nothing? We'd just go on and it'd all be just the same and it'd be great? What do, you, what do you think would happen if every criminal in this city was suddenly made aware there would be absolutely no punishment? There would be no there, there would be no police officer to come apprehend him. There would be no consequences, at least here, now, to th- their actions. What do you think would happen? Before the end of today, everybody would be doing what's right in their own eyes. You guys know any places on the face of this earth where it's like that? You guys know that Somalia has no government. You know that? What do they do there? Whatever's right in their own eyes. But if they want to jump on ships and go out in out there and in pirate ships, they do it. That's where all these pirates are coming from. How about how about down just south of here? You guys hear anything about down where the drug cartels are all in power and the government is basically being unseated and what was it? When Nuevo Laredo, you guys been down there? I've been down there. It's not that far. Just a few hours down I-35. You cross over the border. You know what's true? One man, they couldn't find anybody to become the chief of police. Man took the, took the office. Guess how long he lived? Anybody hear the story? He lived nine hours. And he was dead, full of holes. Three vehicles pulled up around his and they filled him full of lead. Folks, I'll tell you what, if there was no law in this city guaranteed before nightfall, it would be a free-for-all. You would have bands of thugs everywhere. That's exactly what it would be. You wouldn't want to live there. 
You wouldn't want to live there. I'll tell you what, even when you have a totalitarian government, when you have a socialist government, when you have a dictatorship, when laws are put in place, and look, even behind the Iron Curtain, under the communism, people were allowed to work, to have their families going in the store, and stealing was wrong. Open prostitution was wrong. You see, folks, even when we get the worst of governments, even under Adolf Hitler, now look, I recognize if you were a Jew and you were under Hitler, things were done to you that weren't right. But, but you know what? If you went into Berlin before all the bombings started and everything, after the regime was already there in place, you know what? You would have seen a Germany that was well in order. There was law and order. People didn't just fly around on the wrong side of the street in their cars. There were laws. People weren't just looting and raiding everywhere. It wasn't like Nuevo Laredo. It wasn't like Somalia. Folks, I tell you what, you take, you take government away and you got a place you don't want to be. And God instituted it. And God puts all those governments in place. And it, it works for our safety. Even when the government comes against us with its sword, I guarantee you under Nero there were laws. There were Roman laws. We know about it. In many ways, our own government was patterned after that Roman system. So, you know, I, I think you guys would find the same thing as well. If you went to places like North Korea, places like Vietnam. What do you have when you have anarchy? You have a place where there isn't safety. There isn't protection. Now, I think that's basically what Paul's getting at. Beloved, the bottom line, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Yes, our government lies to us. We don't like it. These politicians come along, they make these promises, they lie to us. But that doesn't give you right now to not be in subjection to them. That's not what God wants. Yes, they're going to lie to us. Yes, they're going to take your money. And I guarantee as time goes on and our government moves more and more to a socialistic agenda, they're going to take more and more money from us. The taxes are going to increase. But it doesn't say, well, that's enough. I mean, that's the limit. I'm not giving more than 25%. Who are they to come along and say I need to give 30 or 40%? Folks, that's not it. There are socialistic governments now where people give half. And they submit. You see, sometimes it's change. All of a sudden it's so drastic and we recoil. And well, We've got inalienable rights. No. Your right before God is to submit to your government. Be in subjection. The government is but men. It says, didn't Peter tell us, do it for the Lord's sake. You see, folks, we do it out of reverence for the Lord. Oh, the government likes to think they're God. They're not God. God is God. Men are not God. But for God's sake, for the Lord's sake, we need to be in subjection. Now somebody's out there saying, yeah, but aren't there times that we ought to disobey the government? Isn't there a time for civil disobedience? Hey, if they come along and tell us we can't preach against homosexuality because it's a hate crime, guess what? 
you're probably going to hear more from this pulpit on that note than if they never did it. Right? And if they come along and tell us we can't spank our children, you're going to hear more on the subject than you hear right now. Why? Because when they do that, it tends to it, you know, it tends to give special attention right there, and it really it typically fires up the Christian to be all the more bold about the subject. But I'll tell you, yes, there's a time for civil disobedience. Now look, I'm not just saying that because I think that's right. I say that because the Bible tells us that's right, right? Are there not times for civil disobedience? Probably one of the, the best known of all the verses comes out of Acts 5. Government authorities are addressing the disciples of Christ this way. We strictly charged you in Acts 5.28. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Of course, the name of Jesus Christ. Yet, here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. There it is. We must obey God rather than men. You know what? That really sets down the principle for us, does it not? When do you disobey man? When man wants you to disobey God. Either they tell you to do something that God forbids you to do, or they tell you not to do something God told you to do. And so, that's when we disobey. Christ told them, go preach. Go to the ends of the earth. Preach to every creature. Take it to all the nations. And they went out preaching. And the authorities said, don't preach. I tell you what, if they tell... Look, you got to be wise, folks. Let me, let me just tell you this. Let's take Daniel. Daniel is a good example of civil disobedience. What law did the government make that Daniel disobeyed? For 30 days, nobody else but the king of Babylon... Was it the king of Babylon? It was Darius, wasn't it? It was Darius. It was after Babylon had been defeated. King Darius. For 30 days, nobody is to call upon or worship anybody but you. This law was made. Daniel, what did Daniel do? He went and he prayed three times with open windows. Now nothing said that you had to pray three times. and Nothing said that you had to do it with open windows. It was like he just brashly said, I am not going to obey. And he threw his window open and he did it right there for everybody to see. Anybody think about civil disobedience in any other parts of the Scripture? How about Pharaoh? Pharaoh gave a command. Anybody remember what it was? Put to death every male child. Who did he give that command to? The midwives. Did they obey him? They didn't obey Him. And you know what? God commends them for their, for their disobedience. You see, there are some times when disobeying the government... But, but now watch this. When they came to get Daniel, did he shout, scream, kick, yell, and, and raise a big ruckus? He calmly went. Folks, I'll tell you this. I've seen professing Christians and the way sometimes they react around abortion clinics and that kind of thing. I can tell you this. That when Daniel broke the law, he very meekly suffered the consequences of breaking that law. 
Now he's thrown in the lion's den and God spared him. But Jesus Christ, let's look at him. The authorities came and took him. The charge was against him. Pilate held it up. Crucifixion. Christ was like a lamb before his shears. You know what? If we have to, for God's sake, for Christ's sake, break men's laws, and the authorities come to take us and suffer the punishments of our disobedience, we go like lamb before our shears. Don't kick, shout, and scream. We need to be like Daniel, yea, more like Christ. And folks, I'll tell you, the laws in this land have the authority of God behind them. When you drive down this road, folks, and you see that speed limit sign, the authority of God, let that ring in your ears for the Lord's sake. We can get to the place where we just feel like, well, those laws are unreasonable. Those laws are unenforceable. Those laws only hinder me. God is pleased when you obey, when you keep it. Look, our brethren, I can tell you this, places that we go to in India, in Indonesia, places I've been in China, you know what? There's a law given by God in Hebrews 10. Anybody think of what I might be alluding to? Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves. You know how many governments there are on the face of this earth right now? Probably Turkey as well. Another place. They don't want any assembling. We heard that brother, Iran, no assembling. And our brethren all over this world are confronted by civil disobedience every day, especially on Sundays. There is a time, folks. Let me, tell, let me just throw a few things in here. Pay your taxes. Brethren, pay them. Even if the government supports abortion with those taxes. Listen, do you think it might be likely that when Paul's addressing these Christians at Rome, that Nero or whatever, whatever Caesar may have been in power at that time probably used some of the proceeds to support the Colosseum, to support the execution of Christians, Paul doesn't give exceptions. Pay your taxes. Don't, what, what we don't want to feel is like, well, then I'm going to be held accountable. I'm going to be guilty. That blood's going to be on my head. That's not what the Scriptures say. You pay your taxes. You let the government be responsible for what they do with that money. You pay your taxes. Pay them, don't fight them. How about should I vote? Look, I, I'm, as I say many times, I'm not going to be your conscience on this matter, but I'll tell you, here's my own conviction on it. <clears throat> Isaiah 58.6 says, Is not this the fast that I choose? Some of you know, familiar with this portion of Scripture. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Folk, if, if, we're to, if we're to take up the case of the oppressed, I don't know of anybody more oppressed in this country than unborn children. On the average, 1.2 million children are slaughtered in this country every year. If by my vote, I can vote in politicians that are opposed to abortion, I will do it. When there are... Like this year, I think this was the first time in U.S. history that both of the main presidential candidates 
were pro-abortion. When it gets there, I have no compulsion to vote. Very little. That's my own conviction on the thing. How about this? How about the United States? How about the Declaration of Independence? You know how this country was formed? It was formed on the very foundations of revolution. Now, here's what I want you guys to think about. What you just have seen in Romans 13. Be in subjection. Pay your taxes. Let me ask you something. I want you to tell me whether the foundations of this country, the United States of America, sound like they resonate with Romans 13, or whether they're actually entirely opposed to the spirit of Romans 13. How about this? Anybody remember the Boston Tea Party? Why'd they do it? Taxes. Taxation without representation. Now, does Paul give a little disclaimer here? Pay your taxes except when you're not properly represented. Does he say that? Should you only pay your taxes when you're duly represented? He says pay your taxes. He doesn't say go throw the king's tea in the Boston Harbor and rebel. He says pay your taxes. How about this? How about the Declaration of Independence? You guys ever read any of the words from it? Do you know any of the words from it? Listen to this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That wherever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. You know what? This isn't Christianity. This is the man-centered deism of guys like Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson. They say governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That is exactly what Romans 13 does not say. It says that all governments are instituted by and derive their power from God, not from those governed. And it does not say that when the government is no longer doing exactly what makes me happy, that I can come in and overthrow it. It says submit. And he's speaking about Roman Caesars to the original group written to. Brethren, why do I say this? I say this because we've got a lot of people and professing Christians going around believing that this country was built on Christian foundations. Let me tell you something. Don't put your hope in the United States. Don't put your hope 
and presidents and kings and supposed Messiah Obamas. Don't put your hope there. Jesus Christ came along and He said, My kingdom is not of this world. It's not here. If it was, my disciples would raise up swords and come and fight. But it's not here. Brethren, we are pilgrims. Our home is there. We are passing through. We are pilgrims. And too many people have this idea that if only we can get back to where we actually live according to the Constitution. Brethren, I'll tell you this. The Apostle Paul does not say submit to this government only as long as they adhere to the Constitution. Even if our government says we're done with the Constitution, we're going to wrap it up, crinkle it up, burn it, and throw it out, you are still under obligation to be in submission to this government. Why? Because God instituted it. And I'm not saying we should not use or cannot use any just and righteous means to try to uphold. You've got a freedom to vote. But whatever we end up with, we are to submit. Not complain. Not throw stones. Not tell funny jokes about our president. We are to reverence Him. We are to honor Him for the Lord's sake. We are not to speak wickedly of dignities. Not even the angels do that. Folks, we need to be submissive. We don't belong to this world. That's what the Scriptures say. We are not of this world. Jesus Christ was not of this world and we are not of this world. And even though He said, Father, I don't pray that You take them out of the world, so for a season we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we don't love the world. And we don't put our reliance in the world. His kingdom is a kingdom that is not of this world. And look, folks, you tell me, if we could get this country where it actually was adhering to the Constitution, if we could actually get a place where we could legislate morality over this whole country, what good is that? You cannot legislate salvation. You cannot legislate the new birth. His kingdom is outside this world. That's the kingdom we belong to. A kingdom that is coming. The kingdoms of this world will, folks, become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And we are going forth conquering and to conquer. And the way we do it is through our spiritual gifts, not through earthly weapons. It's not through the sword. It's not through legislating morality. It's not primarily through voting. It's not that kind of thing. We do it by prayer. We do it by fasting. We do it by the proclamation of the Gospel. We do it with righteousness. We do it with truth. With the Word of God. These are our weapons. Brethren, while we're here, submit. May the world look at us and see. I heard John MacArthur say one time, he said, you know, we tend to get all in up in arms we got this whole right-wing agenda and we get all up in arms when people aren't just exactly where we're at with their morals. And we, you know, we, we, the, the Christians slander them, this, this conservative right-wing agenda. Have you, listen, if you're listening to guys like Rush Limbaugh and any of his clones, get off that. 
That is not feeding a Christian mentality at all. Those guys are just as godless. Just as godless. Brethren, we're followers of Christ. Let us walk as He walked. Even when Nero comes to burn us, let us go as sheep before the slaughter. Let us show... Christ didn't say, by your radical right-wing agenda, they're going to know you're my followers. He didn't say, by trying to get the government to where it's back and it's constitutionally oriented, they're going to know you're my followers. Folks, they know we're His followers when we look like Him. He said when you love one another, they're going to know you're my followers. Brethren, we will stand for this truth though it cost us our lives. And it may. And in some countries, it does. And when it comes to that, God helping me, I'll lead the charge in it. And if we need to be thrown in jail, and that I have a feeling the day is going to come before we pass off this earth, folks, they're going to legislate against things that we have to stand for in this Word. And it's going to cost some of us. But when it costs us, brethren, let me tell you this, and I just end with this. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not of this world. If it was, my people would take up the sword. But you know what? In Christ's kingdom, they didn't take up the sword. Christ went and suffered. That's how this kingdom comes. Not by the sword. It comes by suffering. It comes by sacrifice. It comes by love. May God help us. And I'll tell you this too. Respect the police officers. Even when they have to come, their job is to uphold the law. And even when the law is unbiblical, even when we necessarily need to be civilly disobedient, don't take it out on police. Don't take it out at all. Be like Christ. But especially don't take it out on the police officer who's just coming to do his job. I've seen that happen before when people protest and the police come and they want to strike out at the police. The police are doing their jobs. You just need to be like Christ in it. When there's a price to pay and they come to exact that price on us, let us be like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Jesus Christ Himself, like Paul, like Peter, let us go. Let us go quietly. Let us love our enemies. Right? That's where we came from right at the end of Romans 12. Brethren, be in subjection. Our government is here because God has put it here. Well, God help us. Amen.